Hey everybody, it's Griff here to welcome you to the final episode of Hideous Laughter's Carrion Crown. I figured it'd only be right if I did the intro for this episode since I did the intro to the first episode uh, almost five years ago. This podcast has been a labor of love from everybody that's worked on it for many years. It's been such a big part of all of our lives. You know, every Thursday we got together every week, no matter how far apart we lived and uh, recorded this show. And, you know, we've, we've put out hundreds of hours of content. We've put thousands of hours of work into this show and we're just so glad to have with this episode gotten past the finish line. You know, a lot of groups fall apart. That's kind of the thing that happens with TTRPGs, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of adventures don't make it to the end. But we're all really proud that this show made it to the end, that we finished and we got to finish a story that we told our way. We finished it our way. Um, and. We got to take you guys along for the ride. To those of you that have been listening since day one or just started listening and have binged all the way to the end here, thanks so much for listening to us, for giving us feedback, for enjoying the story that we were telling here. It means the world to us to hear from you guys. And, you know, when you support us as well, that's such a blessing for us. So uh, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's it's really bittersweet to come to the end here and to, you know, be saying goodbye to all of these characters that we personally love, but we know that many of you out there love as well. It's, it's kind of a weird feeling, but I'm really happy with how this next episode turned out. I hope you enjoy it too. Here's episode 257, Carrion Closure. Do you like liquor and things that go boom? Then buckle up, listener, because this one's for you. Prepare yourself for the Hideous Laughter Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hideous Laughter Podcast, episode 257, aka the last episode of the podcast, well, oh. of this oh. season. Yeah. How's everybody feeling after that last fight? If my heart could literally jump out of its out of my chest, it would have. I'm glad it didn't, but it came close. I didn't death clutch you. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a combat. It was a good one. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very difficult. I thought we had a lot going on. I felt like as players, it was exceedingly collaborative, not only just in tactics, but I felt like we were like, oh, you know what? This Mythic Mythic ability does that, and I'll look that up for you. And I, I don't know. It just felt like we were working together well as a team, both 
as like the actual game slash cinematic part of it goes, as well as the like just running the thing. Went. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and just peek behind the curtain. We did not like say anything about like hey, while you're doing this tactic, then I'll do this tactic right after. It was it was very genuine. It was good. The only pauses were for the many pee breaks. There was a, there were a couple. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, it'll get cut down, but it was raw over four hours. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm raw after four hours. Uh, It was a very, very stressful, stressful time, but I'm just so happy that it worked out and I'm just like, no, I'm so proud of all of us. Like we did it and we did it all so well together. And like we had so many new things that we did well. And like Griffin did crazy cool tactics. It was just so good. And I don't want it all to end. But I'm glad at least it ended on a good note. Yeah. Yeah, we all got to use some really cool abilities with the the mythic tiers on all sides. It made the combat feel so epic because we could do some really cool stuff that, you know, your normal character can't access. I don't think there's any one of us that, like, didn't shine in some way, shape, or form in that last episode. Like, everybody had at least a moment, which was pretty awesome. Hats off, Griffin. That was something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, try to keep it fun. And, you know, we played with eight characters for half a book, so it up to Annie somehow. But yeah, I'm I'm glad you guys didn't TPK. I'm proud that you didn't. It's a lot of stuff that you had to remember. But yeah, it's a level 20 Mythic 5 wizard with the Forsaken Lich template, plus all of his buddies. Forsaken Lich made him a Forsaken bitch. Got him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, guys are- <laughs> you got him so good. <laughs> Fucking got him from beyond the grave. He has like he did 140 damage to himself. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't, I don't need to talk about that, you know. Details. <laughs> well, for the last time, Steve, what are you drinking? That's a hams, Griffin. And you know what? We didn't make 269. That's unfortunate. But maybe maybe the fans deserve something for sticking around so long and all of the love that they've shown us. You're going to do it on the last one? Most importantly, their Patreon dollars. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people out there are saying, maybe the last episode should be a Team Slurp episode. And, you know, slurping on Mike is something that I feel like as a person I've moved beyond. But it seems like a lot of our fans haven't. So you know what? This one's for you guys. Final slurp? Yeah, so this is going to be a Team Slurp episode to round it out. I haven't done one of these since episode 169, so it's okay. Um, But of course, people who don't like this part of the podcast, you got your misophonia or whatever, you might want to skip ahead about 30 seconds. I'm going to pause for just a moment so you can do that. And for the rest of you, cheers. (sighs) Delicious. I wonder if all our new editing techniques will allow that to stay in. Yeah, I wonder. We have, we'll we have to cut it out separate. <laughs> now that I'm done roasting our fan base. <laughs> Brooks, you got anything good? Oh, well, I finished my Tropical Treasures, and I, I, I'm glad to see an old favorite come back. The Sippy Cup. Yeah. Uh, so, I am drinking wine 
plum wine out of a sippy cup uh, as the the adult that I am and the adult that we've become uh, throughout this podcast. I'm glad the sippy cup came back. It's about yeah. time. Yeah. Feels right. Good. I, I have no fear of spelling or breaking. <laughs> Mostly breaking glass. <laughs> Emily, you got anything good over there? I do. I am drinking the same plum wine and I am very excited for this because I have been searching for this wine for months and have not been able to find it in stores. And yet when we traveled to Columbus, I have found it. So I am celebrating us surviving this combat, well, most of us, with some plum wine. Great. Haley? I have... A fairly strong pour. <laughs> I have elderflower liqueur, vodka, and then I have pear concentrate juice. Ah, yeah. oh, pear concentrate. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I made myself a little elderflower vodka and pear cocktail, not from a can. <laughs> As for me, I've got about two fingers of uh, Angel's Envy. We'll see if that uh, can get me through this. Well, if not, you didn't TPK us, so we got plenty of Malort left. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, I, I, I said I wouldn't do it, but, you know, as a man of my word, Steve, Steve Griffin and I did take one for, for Ickmer. Yeah. Took one for the dust in the wind. We well, reverently scattered his ashes. Yeah. yeah. You guys don't have to roleplay that one out. Yeah. How are you going to collect those out? Yeah, just get a dustpan. <laughs> Sawyer starts coughing him up. I mean, get, get, like, him, dump him uh, out of him into the adamantine tank. Yeah. No, you have to vacuum it up and, you know, whatever else comes with it, you know, and kind of hope that, you know, get at least, what, 50%-ish. Yeah. Did Adivian have a shop vac in his uh, inventory? <laughs> anyway, when last we left our heroes, they... Attacked Galaspire directly, fought a Divian Adressant for the fate of the world, and succeeded, not without their casualties, but everyone, including the ashes at the top of the tower, will at least make it home. And I think we start the episode with Lyra shooting a burst of radiance up into the sky for Ragsmalda to swing back around with the ship. That was fast. It was like 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. You had speeches and everything else at the top of this tower, but Adivian is gone. No longer a threat to Galarian. And probably more importantly, you didn't destroy Gallowspire in the battle, so the Whispering Tyrant's presumably still locked down there somewhere. What do you do? Eclipse immediately turns around doesn't quite drop the axe but doesn't really just like kind of carries it along as she borderline stomps directly back to Matumbe and the leper and embraces them both in a massive hug as big as her three foot three can give <laughs> um and Matumbe returns the hug and he like he brings the lopper in too like they were enemies and then kind of frenemies and now he just realizes that there's more there beneath the surface and as they're embracing he kind of lets go for a moment and says Eclipse 
Do you remember when we first met each other? And for quite a while, we were ideologically at odds in a way, arguing about life and death and whether it was better to move on or stay around and do things if you wished. Never have I been more wrong about something or another person. I am so glad to have you as a friend. And you, Mr. Vance. I am so glad that I found you guys. I set off after my parents died to pay respects to someone that I didn't even know, but I felt it was right, and I thought, next up, I'm gonna find my family. I just didn't think I'd be finding an actual found family, and that feels really good. I'm so far away from home, and yet I have found the same. Both of you and the rest of us on this blasted precipice, I would consider those of my family. I just haven't felt a hug in a long time. (laughs) Thanks for the body. And you know, Mr. Vance, you can come back in me anytime. Let's not call it that. (laughs) (laughs) While all of this is happening, right after Adivian goes down, Lyra falls to her knees and lets out a breath and just takes a moment to process or attempt to process what just happened here. She gathers herself up and walks over to the ashes of Ikmer and just puts her hand down next to them. I'm so sorry. I wasn't able to keep you keep you up in this combat, but we'll make sure you come home. And Usko walks up next to her. We might not be able to do anything for him right now, but if he wants to come back, we can bring him. He's not gone for good. I think Eclipse seeing this would also walk over that way. I mean, Ikmer was there from day one. Meanwhile, similar to what maybe Lyra started with, Tulia would be kind of overwhelmed with everything. And at this point, she's used so much magic and a lot of, she's specifically like a lot of lightning that she just kept changing away from lightning. Lightning's normally her norm, her like kind of signature almost. She almost has the like sparks flying off of her hand. She has like that, like after effects of like the shock and like literally like shaking a little. Like she's overexpended so much magic at this point that she's just taking time to not feel like she's going to explode. As Uska and Lyra are talking about whether or not they can help Ikmer and if he would want to return, Sawyer drops out of a rage and for the first time in a while drops from his hybrid tiger form into his tiefling form and puts his hand on Lyra's shoulder and says, something tells me he'll be back. I, I don't think he's given up on the tribe yet. If you all are able to bring him back, He'll be back. Lyra gives a, a half-hearted smile back up to Saw, <clears throat> back up to Sawyer. We'll make sure he has the choice. So what now then? Adivian has been defeated, his plans have been foiled, and the Whispering Tyrant remains slumbering below. I think that's the best we can do. It would be best to ensure that the rest of the armies below are... Uh, at least uh, made aware that that the threat uh, has passed. But 
I think we can rest now. Yes, rest will be good. That was it, I told Mikhail as much. My days of warfare are over, but at least we ended it making a difference. Well, as the group processes the end of their journey, Regs Mauda pulls up alongside the spire and beckons you all aboard. I knew you had succeeded. Look down. Your victory here has turned the tide in the city. The undead, they're fleeing. And when you look down, you you see it. You see the the armies that you brought together chasing the undead back past Adarak and towards the hills of Virlik until they're just faint shadows of what once was a huge army. A rousing victory then. Thank you for standing by, Ragsmauta. Well done, everybody. There were many times during our quest that I thought we might not succeed. But time and time again, you all have proven me wrong. Let us greet our friends below and revel in our success. Our quest here is completed. Lyra and Uska scoop up some of the ashes from Ikmer to bring back with them so they can make sure he comes back with resurrection. I hope I hope uh, true resurrection. I mean, I'd, I'd hate have to I, I'd hate to have to re-roll grace. <laughs> Particulate no, form. That's uh that's reincarnate. Oh, mm-hmm. oh all right. My- yeah. Well, searching the room briefly, uh, not wanting to leave completely empty-handed if the Divian had information that you wouldn't want in like the clutches of the Whispering Way. You do find his records of, you know, the carrying crown elixir and decoding that elixir into something that uh, could be used. You do find something that had been being worked on, it looks like recently, uh, a scroll with wet ink on it, but in a language that none of you can speak. It looks like a magical scroll. That's got to be a, a ling- like a wild language, because mm-hmm. we know a lot of languages. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. E- either way, I think that that type of knowledge would be best in in the hands of the, the eye of the the eye of the undiamond order. I think burning it would be best. Well, uh, if it's something we could read without triggering it, if it's in a language we don't comprehend, doesn't someone have comprehend language? Does that work for written? I mean, those of you that are magical know that it's just to read magic. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I have. Which most of you have. Um, and using a read magic, you realize that, you know, a Divian being a great wizard with multiple contingencies, was writing scrolls of his spells. Uh, This one is a scroll of wish. So then we definitely (laughs) want to burn that one if it's a contingent wish. No, no, no. It's it's just a scroll of wish. Just a scroll of wish. Can you wish to bring back Ikmer? Can we wish to bring him back? Maybe. I have a plus 25 UMD on uh, Eclipse. Is it UMD or is it Spellcraft? Or? It's, it's a scroll. It's on a wizard spell list. It's wish. Oh, Tulia. Tulia. Tulia can do this. But yeah, wish is the kind of effect that can bring someone back from a disintegrate. Okay. Well, 
Tulia would like to, to use a scroll then. Okay. And she wants to wish back and by duplicating a, re- a resurrection spell. The task takes two wishes, one to recreate the body and another to infuse the body with life again. So I can only recreate the body? Oh, if this wasn't, was this a death effect? No. So then let me see if I can prepare uh, a spell that could bring Ikmar back if we have a body. Oh, perfect. Raise dead was the spell I was thinking of. Let me see if I can prepare it. No, she didn't prepare it today. So even with my mythic ability, I can't. Um. But if we have a body, Ragsmelda has that thing. The sarcophagus. Yeah. Ah, yes. If you, you know, bring Ikmer back to the ship with this scroll, Ragsmelda would say, uh, "I know a thing or two about bringing." someone back from the ashes. I have the blood of a phoenix in my veins. Ain't you just the coolest person? (laughs) If you believe it, although my veins haven't pumped blood in a long time, uh, I can recreate his body if you can bring his soul back to it. I I think I'm going to be able to handle that, actually. And so you see Ragsmauta just like pump this white hot flame all over like the ashes of Ikmer. And before long, you start to see a shadow within the fire. And then as the fire dissipates to smoke, his body lies on the ground. And Tulia casts Wish to cast Resurrection to bring back Ikmer. Where is he? You ain't gonna have to worry about him anymore. It's okay, man. We got him. You set us up, and we finished the job. I... I didn't have a doubt in my mind. I I knew you guys could do it. I... I owe you all. I really do. And... The Prince of Wolves is is in your debt. I think that's the right way to say it. Unnecessary! We did this together, Rikma. You were with us the entire way. From the funeral to the Schloss and beyond. We couldn't have done it without you, your leadership of the wolves. Your willingness to put yourself in front of your companions to take blows for them to keep us standing. You may have fallen in the final battle, but you owe us nothing. We are Bound together. To no one. <laughs> <laughs> Matume, who would have thought that what started started at, at Lormor's and Zokar's bar? I didn't even think you could drink, but you did. Hey. Like you were so young. Look at us now. Drinking laws are pretty loose in that county. Eclipse and Lyra, uh, your abilities have have grown, and it's such such an honor for me to even even say that I I fought by your sides. We've all come a long way, for better or for worse, to get us here. We couldn't have done this without our teamwork. 
not long after you've boarded the ship. Quick thumping of steps from below decks as Anya runs up onto the deck. She made it, too. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Sawyer runs to her and embraces her strongly, like crushes her almost. He's so ecstatic. I mean, transparently, we all done this before. The end of book three, right? And he didn't make it out. This It was the exact same setup. You made it back one time out of three. <laughs> As long as it's the last one, I'm, I'll take those odds. Yeah, we did it this time. And this, I think, is the last time. We're not going to be hearing from Adivian again. I think it's finally time for the two of us to ride off into the sunset together. As long as that sunset is leading the devil wolves under this guy over here. He's a true hero. She, uh, like, goes over to Ikmer, hugs Ikmer. Uh, goes over to Durin, hugs Durin. Thanks for keeping him alive this time. It was my pleasure, Captain. If you ever need anything from me again, just let me know. I would not have made it out of the ditch that you dragged me out of without your help. For that, I am eternally grateful. I would not have met all of these incredible people and had one final hurrah. I think my days of adventuring are over, but I was glad to serve by your side one final time. The ship makes its way down to uh, to greet the armies that are slowly making their way out of the blasted city, um, collecting their dead and uh, injured as they go. Uh, you see Mikhail helping uh, several of the Knights of Last Wall uh, out of the city. You see Rickmit and Sabriza helping injured wolves. The Pavlos and all of his pals, Pavlos is... All dead. Channeling. Didn't make it. uh, Channeling energy. Um, The rest of the pals didn't make it. (laughs) No, the rest of the pals uh, made it. They were in the back. Um, You see your friends Rune and Quinley holding hands as they exit the city unharmed. Or at least relatively unharmed. I guess Quinley's pretty harmed. <laughs> yeah, relatively. I don't know, man. <laughs> and finally, just like carrying six or seven injured, you see the Beast of Lepidstat. Yay! He limps, but he looks like he's not too worse for wear. His ogre hook, long abandoned. The forces of the living one and though a lot of the members of each of the armies perished many more survived to tell the tale because of your quickness in gallowspire your quickness in defeating the dragons that could have torn apart an army your quickness in taking a divian down probably saved more than you know after the dust of battle has settled Lyra finds a moment of peace to talk with her father. Even after leaving the forsaken wasteland surrounding Gallaspire, Lyra's spirits are still low. Can I just sit with you for a time? I am so tired. Of course, my child. What's on your mind? That's the problem. I don't even know anymore. I've been swimming full speed towards the Whispering Tyrant since before I died. Now it's over. And I'm left with the memories of what got me here. 
How did you get here? I haven't had the time to fully process it myself, even. Lyra recounts what's happened to her since Lorimore's funeral, pausing after reliving her last moments, succumbing to the fungus in Schloss Cromark. That wasn't where my story ended, but my memories get foamy for a while. She recounts her confusion being brought back to life in her hometown of Ilmarsh. She tries to recount the creatures that she saw and the monster she was being used to summon, but words couldn't do them justice. She stares off into space for a moment. My mother was there for a time. She turns to make eye contact with Mikhail. She smiles, but it doesn't reach her eyes. Thank you for saving me when you did. I don't want to ever end up like her. But look what we accomplished here. You were an integral part of taking down Adivian. You were here by your own choice. The Recondite Order of the Indomitable Sea used you to summon those monsters, but you're not to blame for that. A look of determination spreads across Lyra's face. You were right. They tried to take everything from me. My Uncle Manus was the only one in Ilmarsh that helped me, and they took him away too. No one should have to go through that. Lyra pauses to think for a moment. Are there others out there like me? Very likely so. There's a great deal some would do for power. Lyra looks up at Mikhail. I could help them, like you helped me. My memories of Ilmarsh are dark and murky, yet I still feel drawn there. If I went back, I could see my home again. That could be a place begin to track down more followers. Lyra thinks of her time at Undiomede Manor, and the only happy memories she has there with her uncle, the memories of laughing on the beach soon turn dark as she remembers cymbals and rhythmic chanting echoing off of cave walls, grows louder in her ears until Mikhail puts a hand on her shoulder. It won't be easy to confront the monsters of your past. Stay for a time and clear your head. You need to rest. Lyrish. Lyra shakes her head slowly. I cannot find peace here. I need a familiar place to rest. (laughs) I suppose I should not have hoped your stay with me would be long. You never wanted to stay on land by choice. Lyra hugs Mikhail. I promise to visit again soon. (laughs) I'm sure you will. Travel safe. Lyra gives Mikhail one last hug. Thank you for everything. This time the smile reaches her eyes. Once Lyra reaches Ilmarsh, her days start to blur together. A year quickly passes and the small town starts to change. The fishy odor and humidity are ever present, but the townspeople carry themselves differently. And Diomede Manor has undergone the most change. The dilapidated place has new life now that the incomprehensible horrors have been removed. The old memories aren't gone, but they're being replaced with new ones. Lyra has slowly been renovating, room by room. The house served as a great recovery ward for injured townspeople. Lyra walks through the town square. She smiles, seeing a baby girl being pushed in the stroller by both her parents. She makes her way to town hall and heads straight to the mayor's office. Opening the door, she's begrudgingly greeted by Mayor Greedle, no longer a brain in a jar. He has his body back. Do I even want to know what brings you in today? Yes, of course. 
because it's for the betterment of the town. I promise not to kill anyone. Only talking. <sighs> Fine. Out with it. We need to increase trade with Thrushmore. It will help us balance our relationship with the scum. The old ways are gone. We must establish new ones. That sounds like more work for me. Don't worry. I'll do the talking. As Lyra lays out her plan to the mayor, the sun shines down on Ilmarsh. A brighter future awaits Lyra in the town. After joining the party relatively late into the quest to defeat the Whispering Way, Tulia, the newly half-daemon wizard, embarks on a new chapter in her journey. She died and came back to life changed, holy, but finally free. With the fate of Galarian secured and her newfound freedom, she focuses on fulfilling her dream of creating magical relics that would surpass any that had come before. Setting her sights on Galarian, the vast and diverse world that she had traversed in her earlier years before the 50 years of imprisonment on Abaddon, Tulia ventures to the ancient libraries of Assyrian. There, she delves into forgotten tomes and consults with sages to expand her knowledge of magical craftsmanship. She seeks not only the lore of legendary artifacts, but also the secrets of their creation, aiming to push the boundaries of what's been achieved before. Her journey takes her to the heart of the Milwaukee Expanse, where she encounters tribes of shamanistic artisans, renowned for their skill in imbuing magic into their creations. Tulia eagerly absorbs their teachings, honing her abilities and gaining a deeper understanding of the mystical connection between art and enchantment. Through her interactions with these tribes, she fosters a newfound appreciation for the harmony between nature and magic. Continuing her odyssey, Tulia visits the bustling metropolis of Absalom, the city at the center of the world. There, she immerses herself in the vibrant tapestry of cultures, rubbing shoulders with master craftsmen from across Galarian. She trades stories and techniques, gaining inspiration from the brilliant minds that gather in the city's renowned bazaars and workshops. With each step, Tulia grows in power and confidence, refining her skill as a wizard. She devises her own unique methods, blending her talents to infuse even the simplest of trinkets with potent enchantments. Her creations become sought after by adventurers, nobles, and scholars alike, spreading her name across the land. But Tulia's thirst for knowledge and power is insatiable. She ventures to distant and perilous realms, from the frozen reaches of the crown of the world to the treacherous depths of the Darklands. She seeks out legendary items and relics, facing daunting challenges and cunning adversaries, all in pursuit of her ultimate goal, to craft magical artifacts more potent than any that have come before. As the first year of her journey draws to a close, Tulia finds herself standing on the precipice of greatness. She's grown immeasurably, not only in her skills as a wizard, but also in her understanding of the world and its wonders. Her half-daemon form has become a symbol of her liberation and resilience, and she realizes she is someone she needs to visit. Tulia finds herself standing at the steps of a desolate castle that she called a prison and a home for half a century. She takes a deep breath, stealing herself for what lies ahead. She hasn't visited since gaining her freedom. The surge of dark energy pulses through the atmosphere and Lopsock materializes before her. His eyes glow with an otherworldly intensity and a wicked smile curls on his lips. Tulia, you've returned, transformed and brimming with tales of your adventures. Tell me, what have you done with your first year of freedom? I'm actually on a mission I'm, uh, to create some magical artifacts. 
I know they ain't something most people just make, since you usually gotta have an event and all, but I've been traveling to a few places in Galarian this year. I plan to plan, tra- travel to even more, learn some new crafting t- techniques, and I think I can do it. <laughs> well, come in and tell me everything. Lopsock listens intently while Tulia describes her last year of studying, his expression shifting from amusement to genuine intrigue. Ah, so you've embraced your potential, my dear Tulia. You've grown beyond the confines of your previous mortal existence. Tell me, what's next? Will your old pal get one of these fabled artifacts when you succeed? Tulia smiles, a glimmer of mischief in her eyes. Well... I do owe a portion of this transformation to you. It was your inter- intervention that granted me my half daemon form and set me free from all your control. That allowed me to pursue my destiny, so I guess I'd have to think about it. In the meantime, how do you feel about seeing a set of new vampires get married? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> from there, we fade in. In Velan County, behind the Shutterwood, in the far northeast corner of Usulov, is a city tucked away next to a river where traditional superstitions often clash with the forward momentum of industry and progress. The city's name is a familiar one, Lepidstat, and since it's near upheaval during the Trial of the Beast, the city has seen a streak of revivification. Recent advances have been made at the prestigious Lepidstat University in the fields of Clockwork, automation, electricity, steam power, and more. Drawing the attention of a newcomer to the city who settled in nicely with the staff at the university. Taking on odd research tasks and mixing reagents for use in the students' experiments. The staff don't know much about their new assistant's past, for on that matter he's held much close to the chest. But the shadowy drow alchemist mixes chemicals with absolute precision and offers insight to young learners clearly acquired over decades, if not at least a century of field experience. Ex-commander of Lastwall's 4th Bombard Corps, Durin Rook, still has nightmares, but they don't seem to be getting worse anymore. In his dreams, soldiers still march across barren no-man's lands to their doom. Alchemical explosive ordnance still screams through the sky, and the pained rasps of the dying always end up drowned out by the chanting of undead battlefield necromancers. But the new medication he reverse-engineered from the university has been helping quiet these intrusive sights and sounds a bit. He lives alone now, in a small house on the outside of town. He probably used to belong to one of the poor souls slain during the trial all those years ago, but he didn't ask too many questions when he brought it, bought it in exchange for an old set of armor he had no use for anymore. The sun begins to set on an early autumn evening, and in a sterile laboratory deep in the annals of the university, Duran Rook begins to collapse his workstation for the night, wiping it down and preparing for the next day. From the other side of the lab, a timid research assistant walks cautiously over to the busy drow and begins to speak. She's a young elven woman with long hair the color of ivory, pulled into a bun, and pitch black eyes magnified slightly by thick round glasses which eclipsed at least a third of her face. Um, Mr. Rook, I couldn't help notice as I passed your place earlier this week. Not that I was trying to spy on you, of course. I couldn't help noticing how you've touched up the paint and fixed that old rusty gate, you know, from the old owners. It looks like you're really taking care of the place. Think you might be sticking around for a while? Because you've been awful quiet, but just a blessing to our lab and, well... 
I was kind of hoping you'd stay. Durin caps a test tube of bright green liquid, which he had in hand, cautiously sets it into a wooden rack, and labels it with surprisingly gentle handwriting on a note card. He begins to speak while writing, but as he finishes, he returns the quill to his ink pot and addresses her directly as his first few words begin to turn into a torrent. Thank you, Edria. This university has been extremely welcoming to me, and, well... The city seems to be a place where one can rest easy, away from the rest of the world. Your hospitality in particular has been something that I don't think I've realized I've needed as much as I did. You're right, though. I've been quiet about where I'm from, and for that, maybe you do deserve an explanation if we're going to continue working so closely together. It's not an easy tale to tell, though. I have fought horrors beyond imagination. Surrounded by the dead and dying for the better part of a century, maybe longer. My history is one of conflict and violence, enough to burn away the better parts of the person I had been. Pauses for a second. Did you know my last name's not even Rook? It's a name that was given to me when I was conscripted into military service. I've kept that name for long enough now that I've lost track of what it was in the first place. The things I've seen, the things I was ordered to do, and the chemicals I used to fight both the hordes of Belkson and the living dead of Virlicht have had that effect on me. I think part of me is gone, and I don't have the ability or the courage to try and remember what I lost. My commanding officers told me to fight for the light, but I didn't even know what the light was. So when I left the service, I think I finally found out what that light was. It's the unwavering love between two souls, determined to fight through hell to be back together. It's the devotion completely different beings may find towards each other, originally ideologically at odds, but bounded through fierce adversity. It's loyalty to your own and a willingness to save a friend, even when he doesn't think he wants to be saved. It's a devotion to a righteous cause, even after it's already killed you, once or more before. What we're doing at the university isn't what I used to do. It's not even close, but it's empowering those who follow us to make a world better than the one we were given. I think I've done my time fighting for the light, and in that regard, I don't think I have anything left to give. But in doing so, I found out what the light really was, and I've got a lot of work to do on me, but I spend And I've got a lot of work to do on me, but I'll spend the rest of my life running towards it. Adria, the lab assistant, is stunned into silence. For a brief long few seconds, neither speak. Then Durin breaks the silence. Coincidentally, do you know anyone looking for an orc hornbow? I've got one I don't think I'll need anymore, and I might be looking to sell. From there, we fade over to Erbearer who travels back to his hometown. Word of his return has traveled faster than he did, especially since he didn't send notice that he was going to be back. He's greeted with extravagant decorations, food, and festivities similar to the family reunions he thought he'd forgotten entirely. The memories of of the past flood back. He can't help but feel overwhelmed with grief for his lost family, but quickly regains himself. Erbear doesn't feel like he deserves the high praise. I was 
only making up for all the wrongs that I committed. His relatives have rebuilt the Warren where he once lived and where his most direct family perished. They say that they rebuild it in memory of his family. There's a well-kept stone marker at the gate depicting the great loss that happened, but Herbert can't bring himself to read that part. There is a bit at the end that catches his eye that evil didn't prevail that day and that the rat folk resilience lives on. Before the festivities are done for the evening, he addresses his cousins who've taken over the shop responsibilities. Do you mind if I take a quick walk down to Lasco? Cousins are surprised that Herbert would leave at a time like this and slightly confused by his request. Herbert can see in their faces that the details of how he left might be lost to time. You hope to keep it that way. They don't need to know the whore. He thought to himself. The purpose of his walk was not going to be about bringing up bad memories. Herbert stands in front of the old shop, the Lusco sign still well kept, and the doorway swept. He sighs heavily, suddenly feeling the physical toll on his aging body. He remembers back to happy times here, hearing the bell ring above the door, seeing the older generation's happily Greek customers. They must have been feeling a similar way and still put on a happy face for all us kids. Maybe it is time for me to do that as well. If you don't mind, I'd like to return to working in the sap a few days a week. There is this tactical nature within the shop that the, the mind won't quite let me stay away from. While my blades may grow dull, the mind will never. Your bear's cousins agree with a happy surprise. Oh yeah, but don't let your nieces and nephews run circles around you. They must have inherited some of that speed that you got. They give him a playful nudge and smile. I burst smiles back watching the children run up and down the aisles, as he did growing up. He's going to like it back at home. Herbert addresses the kids during one of their brief pauses. Don't you know that I visited Alaska all the way in Califas? The children roll their eyes at the mention of more business talk. Herbert lets out a hearty laugh. He looks towards his cousins. And... We visited some pretty interesting shops along the way. They might want to expand and agree to sell some wares here. Herbert reaches out to the friends he met and businesses he traveled to during his adventures. Weeks pass and he stays busy in the shop during the day. The children volunteer for shop duty just so they can listen to Herbert's stories during slow periods. When it comes to actual work, he leaves the heavy lifting to the young and spry, but he needs no help reaching an item on the top shelf. Herbert takes a glance around, making sure no one's watching, and lets his hand reach it for him. <laughs> oh, hey there, Herbert. That human running the furniture shop in Califas. Did he have trouble with numbers that you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember him, but I only knew him as the wood guy. Seemed fine with numbers to me. It's the strangest thing. This is the third shipment where the count's low. Herbert acts just as puzzled 
looking at the pile of growing stool seats without accompanying legs. <laughs> Anywho, I got a letter for you and it sure looks fancy. Airbird takes the letter and opens it, revealing an invitation to a wedding. <laughs> so are you cooking the books to get table legs? He's eating the legs, baby. <laughs> So I just want to know where you're getting these, like the, the people to eat in this shop. Like. He's, he's giving it up. It's like the, the table legs are like his Nicorette gum. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Table legs replace it. Gotta chew on something. <laughs> right. oh, you guys might get a little kick. We fade back to just after the battle for Adarak. Ikmer is parting ways with the Blood Mood Pirates. Uh, but not before talking with Jabberjaw and Captain Soranash. Before we part ways, I'd like to propose an idea. The Prince's Wolves, Blood Moon Pirates, Devil Wolves, Silver Hides, Primals, Broken Ones are not so different. I, I see no reason why we can't live in harmony. After all, we're just were creatures at heart. Intentionally, he puts emphasis on were-creatures, looking at Jabberjaw, then motioning to Sawyer. I see no difference, and no were-creature should be treated any differently. Now he directly addresses Captain Soranash. I'm proposing that all packs look out for each other, is all. I'll take that again. I'm... Proposing that all packs look out for each other is all. And I want you to have a seat at the table with an equal voice. Captain Soranash ponders this for a moment. When we return to the shackles, how can you guarantee we have an equal share of your time and resources? We're pirates after all. We're bound by a different code than the rest of the packs. Igmer quickly cuts him off before he can say much more. Uh, I understand. I'm asking a lot. Please, please, take some time and discuss it with your pack back home. I'll send message in time. The Blood Moon Pirates board their ships and part ways from the rest of the Shutterwood wolves. And so with the rest of the wolves in tow, Igmer travels back to the Shutterwood alongside the surviving warriors from the battle. At his direction, they take great care of their fallen brothers and sisters. I don't care what pack they came from. They fought valiantly and sacrificed everything. They are to be treated like loyalty and will receive a proper burial. Ix delighted to be back with werewolves again but he feels like he's missed out on so much and abandoned his people so soon after becoming the Prince of Wolves. Stopping Nana Opal and the Whispering Tyrant would mean nothing to him if it meant that he didn't have a pack to come back to. The afternoon sun warms their fur as they get closer to the Shutterwood. None of the wolves need the scent ability to smell delicious food being prepared. A feast is being made for their return and with great fanfare. Ick radiates happiness, walking side by side with warriors from every pack. Families stand, awaiting their arrival. A boy runs from the crowd and collides in the deep embrace of his returning mother. Ick can't hold back his own tears. 
they chill, a fresh scar on his chin before falling to the ground. Then he begins to cry ugly tears. He hiccups, doesn't really care how vulnerable he looks in that moment because he's felt vulnerable his whole life. He remembers how small and powerless he felt as a child. He remembers feeling less than the money he'd bring home to his mother. Then he looks around him and the ugly tears are replaced with happy tears. He can see the difference he's made in that little boy's life and in the lives of those around him. A touching service is held for those fallen in battle. Then the massive dire boar that had been roasting is finally cut into. Igmer sits at the table feeling the warmth of family around him in the evening light. The young prince stands. I'd like to address my sincerest thanks to all of the packs here tonight, as well as the pack that isn't here, the Blood, Blood Moon Pirates. They are just as much of our pack as any one of us. Hear, hear. Igmer raises his tankard but remains standing. Because we are, we are all here tonight and able to remember our fallen brothers and sisters, we can see that the packs are stronger as one. I'm not suggesting a single voice, but a council that represents all packs. You hear the crowd kind of... What? One, one more thing that I'd like to mention is while that I may be a werewolf, we are all were-creatures. For the well-being of all that we fought for in this battle, in that battle, and the heart that I saw out there certainly proves that we are all equals. A little bit louder. Starts from the crowd again. I implore you all to see this the strength the the happiness and the prosperity that i can uh, now i don't expect everyone here to just change instantly someone in the back changes into wolf form instantly. i merely <laughs> i merely ask for you to understand that one where creature's struggles are not the same as the next. I know that we can find a way together as one. Igmar raises his tankard and finishes his wine. After a few more drinks, the band is in full swing. Igmar turns to the daughter of Kuvalkasain and says, I fear I may have to answer the call of the prince. I've become out of touch with the daily struggles of, of what pack life is like. How so? She says. I've been able to avoid the responsibilities of the Prince of Wolves title long enough. The, the scope of what I must answer to is much bigger now. I won't be able to respond with a sword like I have in the past. You have the pack's support. Don't worry so much. Did you respond with a sword to Larry? Uh, what about Durston? Or even Sabriza and Sawyer Savarine? You've always known what to do. Just sharpen your words instead of your sword. 
Now we fade to another spot in the Shutterwood. As golden light filters like stained glass through the yellows, red, and oranges of the Shutterwood's fall canopy. Below the treetop runs a quiet creek, reflecting the colors of nature and scintillating patterns under the tree trunks, bathing the undergrowth in rich sunshine. Two large animals, a black and orange striped tiger and a giant chestnut brown colored wolf, crash in the distance across the forest floor, chasing one another in the afternoon heat. The noises of the two creatures begin to quiet as they draw near, and from the underbrush, two figures emerge creekside. A human female with dirty blonde hair missing her left hand, and a devil-blooded tiefling with shaggy black hair and small horns at the crown of his head, missing eye hidden behind a rakish leather eye patch. Both drink deeply from the shallow stream and lay back on a grassy mound surrounded by cattails to watch as fat leaves colored by the changing seasons drift down to the ground around them. As the two lycanthropes lay there, Sawyer and Anya Savarine enjoy the quiet moment of peace after decades of hardship. Both had known pain and loss and regret, but now all that remains is each other. Timidly, as if scared of his words, breaking nature's tranquility, the tiefling begins to speak. I still can't help but wonder how much of this was my fault. A few moments of cautious silence follow. How many I've killed in their name. How we, no, I would do the dirty work for them. Breaking their leaders out of prison, tracking down their relics, and silencing their loose ends. There's stuff I did in that year I was with the Whispering Way, Anya, that I haven't even told you. Haven't ever spoken out loud, because I'm scared that if I think about it for all too long, I'll be inviting demons back to the surface that I can't ever drown again. And I'm scared that if you knew everything, you'd have never stood by me as the devil was fought the dead in Feldgrau, or came out to rip me out of Osa's forge. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm sick of the person that I used to be. You're the one who saved me from my broken past. It's my time to do better, to be better for you. And I don't know, maybe I do believe that this Ikmer kid's got the heart of a prince. What he's doing right now with the packs is working. Maybe life now won't be so bad. In the distance, we hear a wolf howl, a woodpecker hammering away into hardwood, and the gurgling of the creek as it empties into a larger pool downstream. With both of them still staring up into the forest canopy and the open sky beyond, Anya speaks up. You're right to leave the past in the past, love. I know what I've told you is true. Your past is dead. That person you were isn't the person you were meant to be, and it isn't the person I fell in love with. You were a product of those around you. Whether it was your parents' shame at having a tiefling son, rude lying to you about your purpose, or that witch Opal adopting you in some twisted grandmotherly way. You've changed so much since then, and I don't need to hear those things that you've done, because nothing you could tell me about your past could change the way I feel about you. Think about all we've been through. When you brought me all the way from Ustalav to an island in the shackles to save me, you made the right choice. For love and life. Then when we were on that beach, Regsmauta told us that for whatever reason, the Divine had destined us to be together. She's right, you know. I feel it every time I look at you, and I know you feel it too. And we've done amazing, incredible things together. We united the were creatures, which were cast out before Ikmer's rise. We fought Rude in his lair. 
went to hell and back, and broke out of a crazy witch's demiplane. Whether you like it or not, you don't have a choice. I'm never letting you go again. Sawyer rolls onto his side, looking at Anya laying there in the soft grass. Her hair tangled dirt under her nails and eyes ablaze with passion. He still feels the same way he did on the sandy shores of Ragsmouth's reach, enamored with everything about her. Well then, if that's the case, Miss Savarine, we best get going. I can feel the pack growing restless, and I don't want to keep them waiting for far too much longer. You know, I'm not sure what's next for us, but whatever it is, I got a real good feeling about it. Sawyer moves as if to stand up, but before he can, Anya playfully pushes him onto his back, giggling. Let them wait, she said as she begins to climb on top of him. I need you all to myself for just a little while longer. And Steve wrote in his own fade to black scene. <laughs> <laughs> Literally wrote on the page and we fade to black. <laughs> I was wondering if that would get redlined. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> the, the writer's strike is uh, <laughs> all of us. Yeah. I crossed the picket line for that one <laughs> now we switch gears and follow what's been happening with Eclipse after the journey that's taken control of her life for the past couple of years finally ends Eclipse finds herself standing on the precipice of a new quest the search for her long lost brothers with Vance, her constant friend, by her side, Aranel has a shadow on her shoulder, and Uli, Manis, and Leona in her mind, she sets forth on her original journey to reunite with her family. Guided by fragments of memories and distant whispers from her childhood, Eclipse travels through the lands of Ustalav, retracing the footsteps of her parents' flight from slavery in Tianjia. She explores forgotten villages, speaks with the eldest members of those villages, and pieces together the remnants of her family's journey. After feeling like she's gained nothing new that would point her towards her brothers, Eclipse goes back to her family's burned-down and isolated cottage to rebuild. She stays there with Vance for a couple months to remake the cottage. She also spends a lot of time dreamwalking and working with Vance to go through her memories of her family to gain ideas on where to search next. She finally stumbles upon a worn and tattered journal hidden beneath the floorboards of the remnants of the home. The journal belonged to her mother, detailing their life in the homestead before tragedy struck. Some of the pages are unreadable due to age and water damage, but luckily the fire didn't affect the journal. Eclipse spends a few days reading the journal to remember her family again and see if it'll point her to her brothers. And as she's reading through, she's, there's a couple fragments that really stick out to her. Starting with this one. Today we arrived in the beautiful land of Uslav, our sanctuary away from the chains of slavery. It's been a long and perilous journey, but seeing the rolling hills and the quaint villages makes it all worth it. The children are utterly exhausted, but excited for this new life. They've ensured in, they have endured so much at such tender young ages, but I pray this land will provide peace and the stability that they and we deserve. And then... Um, this is the next kind of thing that sticks out to Eclipse. Some of this just helping her remember her time. The homestead we've built is just a haven of happiness and tranquility. Eclipse spends her days exploring the surrounding woods, her curiosity never-ending. She has a way with animals as if they can sense her eagerness for friendship and love in her heart. I watch her from the porch swing, her laughter echoing through the trees, and I'm filled with just an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Our family's found solace here. 
hope we can cherish these moments forever. Clips remembers uh, being in the forest around this house, its memory long forgotten. She goes to the next journal entry. Time seems to fly by in this little corner of Uslav. Children are growing up so quickly. Jin has developed a keen interest in the local history, spending hours in the library devouring books on ancient lore. Daisuke, always the adventurous one, has taken up archery and spends his day perfecting his aim. Tam, our little artist, fills our home with his colorful drawings and eclipse, our sweet eclipse. She's been my confidant, always ready with a comforting presence and a listening ear. Our family is so blessed. And then one last one that she needs to read. Today, a stranger arrived on our doorstep, seeking refuge from the prying eyes of the authorities. His name is Vance Strassel, a man with a haunted past and eyes that betray a depth of sorrow. We opened our doors to him reluctantly after he threatened us, but we understand that all too well what it is to run from something chasing you. He spoke of a journey that he'd embarked on, a quest for redemption. Little did we know this man would become an unexpected beacon of light in our lives. Vance seems to possess a wisdom beyond his years, and his stories captivate our children, their eyes wide with wonder as they hang on to his every word. His presence brings a sense of excitement and adventure to our humble homestead, as if the winds of fate have chosen to dance upon our threshold. Clips in particular has taken a Vance like a moth to a flame. She looks at him with a mixture of curiosity and recognition, as if her young soul senses a connection beyond the bounds of this lifetime. We spent hours together delving into the forgotten legends and discussing the mysteries that lie in the hidden corners of the world. Cannot help but feel a sense of unease, a whisper of caution in the back of my mind. We know Vance carries a burden and an untold tale that I fear may intertwine with our family's destiny. But for now, we embrace this unexpected camaraderie for in his presence, there is still a glimmer of hope and a promise of something extraordinary to come. As the days turn into weeks, I... Meh. I just can't help but wonder what fate has in store for our family. Little do we know, this path that we tread together will shape us in all the ways that I could never imagine now. May the spirits watch over us as we embark on this journey together with this new person in our lives. After reading this journal multiple times over, Eclipse and Vance talk about the entries that focus on her brother's interests. Vance helps Eclipse to realize that Jin might seek refuge in Corvosa, to attend the University of Corvosa due to his strong interest in history. With newfound determination, Eclipse and Vance embark on a journey to see if her brother has ever attended that university and if anyone has seen him since. The bustling streets of the city are a tapestry of noise, vibrant colors, and the scent of countless spices. Eclipse and Vance walk side by side towards the university. They know the plan is to check every school before giving up on this city of education. The weight of anticipation hangs heavy upon Eclipse, but she's filled with a mix of hope and uncertainty. As they turn a corner, Vance catches a glimpse of a figure ahead, also walking towards the university. It's a silhouette that bears a striking resemblance to the eldest of Eclipse's siblings. He speeds up and Eclipse rushes to follow, since she can't see over the heads of the crowd with her short height. Jin, immersed in a book as he strolls down the crowded street, looks up, sensing a presence drawing near. A flicker of fear and mild recognition flashes across his face as he catches sight of the familiar figure that's now a glowing green approaching. He blinks, almost unsure if his eyes are playing tricks on him, as this is certainly a dead man approaching him. Vance? Jin's voice trembles with a mixture of grave concern and disbelief. 
The book slips from his grasp, forgotten amidst the flood of emotions that surges through him when Eclipse steps out from behind Vance. She reaches out a trembling hand, her voice choked with emotion. Jin, is, is it really you? Jin's reserved nature melts away as he envelops Eclipse in a warm embrace, his voice filled with an indescribable mix of longing and tenderness. Yes, Eclipse, it's me. I've missed you more than words can express. Tears mingle with smiles as the siblings hold each other, the weight of the years apart dissipating in their embrace. Vance watches a sense of quiet contentment settling upon him as he witnesses the reunion he helped facilitate. After a moment, they pull back, their eyes locked in a shared understanding of the trials they had endured and the bond that remains unbroken. Eclipse's voice quivers with a mix of gratitude and determination. I, I just can't believe we found you walking the street. We had plans to search every single school in Corvosa, then move to the next city of learning if that didn't pan out. I'm so happy to have found you again. What have you been doing? Where are Daisuke and Tam? Let's go to my home, and I can tell you everything I know over tea. As they stand, embraced by the bustling city of Corvosa, Eclipse, Jin, and Vance know that their reunion marks the beginning of a new chapter in their lives. Jin describes his path to Corvosa and the information he's found to help identify where Daisuke and Tam are. Together, Eclipse and Vance continue their search for her brothers, but early into the next phase of their journey, guided by Jin's research, they receive an invitation to a wedding. Next, we fade into Uska, walking up a stone path to a sturdy stone cottage with smoke rising from the chimney. As she approaches, a group of dwarven children take notice and begin running towards her. She greets all of them with hugs. It's been too long, my not-so-little ones. You've all grown so big. Uska, you're back. Grandma's going to be so excited. Well then, let's go see her. As she gets close around the side of the house, she sees a large table set for dinner. The kids rush inside to grab another place setting, or giggling the whole way that Anuska is back. After a few moments, a stout middle-aged dwarven woman with long braided hair appears in the doorway. Her wrinkled, stoic face lights up as she lays eyes on Uska. She rushes over. You're back. Freya grasps Uska in a firm hug and then holds her at arm's length. Without sending a message ahead? Have your travels made you forget your manners? Uska shrugs. I was hoping to surprise you. Well, that you did. Lucky for you. You're just in time for dinner. Freya turns to the oldest child. Astrid, round up your parents and your aunts and uncles. They'll want to see their sister. The little girl dashes off and returns shortly with Uska's siblings. Freya, Uska, Arvid, and her siblings and all the nieces and nephews sit around the large table, enjoying a hearty stew. They talk of their lives in town and the few things that have changed since Uska last visited. The children excitedly recount their adventures in town. They pepper Uska with questions about her travels, not giving her any time to answer. Did you fight monsters? Did you rescue a princess? Did you save a whole town from an evil wizard? Yes, kind of. And more than a town. The children's eyes go wide with awe and ask to be excused. They jump out of their seats and lead Uska inside over to their adventuring gear. One child holds up a wooden axe, another a large battered book, and the third a beat-up old tankard. See, these are just like in Grandma's stories. We're chasing down the whispers, too. I'm glad to know you'll be here to protect the town when I'm away. Uska lowers her voice. I've been tracking down the whispers. 
I know Grandma is normally the one to tell the stories, but I actually have a few new chapters to tell. The children brim with excitement as they wait for the next chapter. Uska pokes her head back outside the house. Mom, I promised the little ones a story. I thought you'd like to hear it too. Freya slowly gets up from her chair. Sure, dear. I could use a bit of excitement. As the group gathers around, Uska begins her story. Not long after the adventurers battled in the Abbey of St. Lemirin, they met a new friend. She speaks of her time with the party and recounts allying with the vampires, and the children's eyes widen in shock. When the adventurers find Matumbe's daughter, the children squeal with excitement. She recounts the epic battle with all of their allies to prevent the Whispering Tyrant from coming back and is met with cheers all around. When Uska has finished her tale, the sun is set and the children are yawning. Freya is taking the whole story in with a flat expression. Freya slowly stands up and gets the kids up and moving. Time to head home, little ones. It's past your bedtime. The children all make their way back to their homes, and Freya turns back to Uska, now with tears in her eyes. You found them too. You took over when I could not. I'm proud of you, Uska. Even when your path looked dark, you found the light. I was worried for you when you started traveling, but I see you had everything you needed to succeed. Uska looks at the butterfly hovering around her. I've had a bit of help, and more than my fair share of luck. Freya and Uska start heading back inside, then Uska pauses. There's one thing I can't figure out. From what everyone told me, they wished you back to a different life. Why didn't you rejoin them? Freya chuckles. Turns out, I was the one that needed help. I was given a different choice than I had before. That foul creature brought me back and changed both our lives for the better. I didn't lose you that awful night. I didn't want to go back because I had everything I always wanted. I wouldn't trade this life for anything because it brought me my family. Do you ever miss the traveling? I've still got some adventure left in me. There are some friends in my other life that I miss. Why don't we visit them? Something tells me they could use some help. Uska and Freya close the door to the cottage and prepare for their next adventure. Emily almost killed me. <laughs> I got a preview of that one ahead of time, and I was like, <laughs> this is the one that's going to get people. We fucking did it. Damn. <laughs> I'm a wreck over here. <laughs> About a year into everyone's post-adventuring life, they receive an invitation to a wedding between two vampires. <laughs> a midnight wedding. And so every member of the party that defeated Adivian comes together this time, not for a funeral, but for a wedding. The moon shrouds the sky in a blanket of darkness as the stage is set for a midnight wedding ceremony between Rune Tyriac and Quinley Basdell. The scene unfolds at Castle Corvishore, its towering gothic spires reaching towards the heavens, silhouetted against the starless night. Within the castle's grand hall, adorned with ornate chandeliers and draped in velvet curtains, the air hangs heavy with an eerie stillness. Candles flicker in twisted candelabras, casting haunting shadows on the stone walls. A hushed suspense permeates the atmosphere, as if even the castle holds its breath in anticipation of the union to come. 
The friends and the allies the couple made while pursuing the Whispering Way sit near the front of the ceremony. Honored guests whose sacrifice enabled this union to occur. They too wait expectantly for their two friends whose courtship began during the battles that they all faced to profess their love for one another. Rune, ethereal and radiant, glides down the aisle with a silent grace. Her ivory gown cascades around her like a river of moonlight, trailing delicately behind her as she moves. The fabric, intricately endured with black lace and bejeweled accents, catches the dim candlelight and shimmers like stars against her pale skin. Awaiting her at the altar stands Quinley, his presence commanding, yet nervous. (laughs) (laughs) He's clad in a tailored suit, a dark velvet cloak draped over his broad shoulders. His eyes, a mesmerizing shade of crimson, show the beginning of tears at their corners as the bride draws closer. A fleeting smile parts his lips, revealing just the glimpse of the fangs that lie beneath. The ceremony is presided over by Count Tyriac himself, his voice resonating with ancient power and wisdom. Their vows echo through the hall like an enchanting melody. Shadows dance and intertwine as the words wrap around the hearts of the undead lovers, sealing their eternal bond. All right, Runen Quinley, if you would repeat after me. In the presence of eternal night. In the presence. In the presence of, of the eternal, eternal night. Under the moon's watchful gaze. Under the moon's watchful gaze. We stand as creatures of darkness. We stand, we stand as, as creatures of darkness. Bound by love that never decays. Bound, bound by, by love that, that never decays. decays. With hands and hearts intertwined, with with hands and hearts intertwined, we pledge our undying devotion. We We pledge pledge our undying undying devotion to walk the path of shadows together. To walk the path of shadows together, forever defying mortal notions. Forever defying mortal notions. I vow to drink from the well of your essence. I vow to drink from the well of your essence. Sustained by the elixir of your blood. Sustained by the elixir of your blood. To share in the thirst that binds us. To share in the thirst that binds us. In this realm where darkness floods. In this realm where darkness floods. I promise to be your eternal companion. I promise to be your eternal companion. To guide you through the depths of the night. To guide you through the depths of the night. To embrace your immortal soul. To embrace your immortal soul. In this dance of darkness we ignite. In this this dance of darkness we ignite. Together we'll roam through the ages. Together we'll roam through the ages. In passion we'll write our haunting tale. In passion we'll write our haunting tale. Two souls combined in immortal union. Two souls combined in immortal union. Bound by love that will never fail. Bound by love that will never fail. With these vows our spirits entwine. With these vows our spirits entwine. In this covenant of darkness and light. In this covenant of darkness and light. A vampire's eternity we embrace. A vampire's eternity we embrace. Forever side by side in eternal night. Forever side by side in eternal night. He like, he stuck the landing. <laughs> I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. As the midnight hour approaches, the couple <laughs> seals their vows with a blood red kiss, an emblem of their eternal connection. 
The moment is captured in time forever, immortalized in the annals of vampiric lore. A chorus of wolves howl in the distance, their mournful cries blending with the haunting melody of the night. Outside the castle, a dense fog rolls across the grounds, adding an air of mystery and enchantment to the surroundings. The castle's gothic architecture looms over the landscape, its spires piercing the sky, reaching for the inky abyss above. Darkened trees stretch their gnarled branches towards the castle walls as if embracing the union of these immortal beings. In this macabre and mesmerizing setting, the wedding of two vampires reaches its climactic peak. Their union, steeped in darkness and desire, becomes a symbol of eternal love and undying devotion. As the clock strikes midnight, the castle seems to exhale, releasing a collective sigh of bittersweet beauty. For in the realm of shadows, their love will forever endure. So when you sent me this, I saw a page of vows and I was like, ah, Griff's getting me back for ruining his NPC with a ridiculous voice. <laughs> I have to lock that down for a whole page. <laughs> that burned me up. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> oh, that was good. So the entire party, including, uh, you know, Freya, who was invited, come together, you know, a year later, a year after they save the world. Freya will approach the party, and I'm assuming that Eclipse, Matumbe, Ikmer, Lyra are probably staying somewhat together while, uh, while this is going on. And she walks up to all of them. It's good to see you, or maybe meet you in some way. Matumbe cocks his head to the side, takes a step closer, and like bends down a little bit to get a better look. So familiar. Your name is on the tip of my tongue. Freya, is it not? You're right. And he just beams. Today my heart is full, for a friend I did not even know I lost has returned to me. And he just like sweeps her up in this big hug, like this little three foot or four foot tall dwarf with this <laughs> like seven and a half foot man lifts her up and it's just like ecstatic. He, like this is the, I mean, you turn the clocks back to like around episode 100, Matumbe gave his last rights to Freya. Like, and he basically, he, I guess not even basically, he directly told her, like, if I don't make it, I believe in you so much that you should lead this group. Like, that's, that's how much he believed in Freya and he forgot about her. And then all of these, these memories are returning. This friend he didn't know he forgot. When Freya is swept up into this hug, she is stiff for a moment. And then she quickly softens and returns Matumbe's hug. I'm, I was glad to hear you made it through. We did it. The Whispering Way was set back. We defeated the Divian, towering over Virlicht, over Galospire. Eclipse, Ikma, it's Freya, our friend. I can't believe it's you. I mean, I know, I know there are some, some sometimes like, some struggles, I think, maybe with us, but at the same time, we it was sometimes it was just the two of us. I I mean, it's so good to see you. Uh, welcome, sight indeed. Uh, wow, we we have to catch up. I mean, you've given us the well, a beautiful daughter uh, that we we honestly can say that we wouldn't have made it out without her. You should be. 
so proud of your daughter, Uska. She stood fearless with the rest of us, fighting the worst of the dead. And most of us here owe our lives to her in some way. She's an incredible young woman. Well done. Uska is just standing there, uh, face bright red from all of this praise. And uh, Freya looks around to the party. I am proud of her. And I'm proud of all of you. Not only were you successful, but you didn't lose yourselves along the way. I know things were dire. And Uska filled me in on the rest of the things that happened. And you stayed true. And you saw it to the end. Durin in like, not a military outfit, obviously. That part of his life is behind him. But in like a very press suit, like very clean bumps into Tulia, who I'm trying to remember. I don't think either of them ever met Freys. Who, who is this? Hey, I don't know who this is. <laughs> uh, no, don't worry, though. How uh, Roughly how old is Frey again? Tulia met Freya. I definitely did. Really? Yeah, in Abaddon. in Abaddon. Freya. Oh, that's right. Well, he'd still ask her who this is. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we all know Freya's really old. So. She's, she's approaching middle age as a dwarf. Gotcha, yeah. Approaching, okay. <laughs> I mean, now maybe at this point she is middle aged. <laughs> anyway, uh, if if you ask how old uh, are like or not how old? <laughs> how old is that dwarf? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Ever <laughs> so old. <laughs> Anyways, you, see, I'm not the only one. If you ask Tulia who she is, Tulia would actually say she's actually uh, Uska's mom. And but she kind of disappeared for a while, per, per what I've been told. And uh, she came to Abaddon. Actually, she's uh, part of what allowed me to leave Abaddon. Incredible. I guess now that you mention it, I do see the family resemblance. It's a pleasure to meet you, Freya. I'm once again in good company. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. I feel like I know all of you. I've heard your stories. Sawyer's like, hopefully not all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there were a few details that were left out. But even so, you can all be proud of where we've come. I just can't believe you're back. This is so weird. Felt like a weird, hazy memory, but I remember, but didn't. It's so good to see you. It's just good to be back together, all of us. It really did work out best in the end. I got what I always wanted. That makes my heart happy, my longtime friend. I'm not gonna lie, I've held on to a lot of guilt. I'm really glad. <laughs> I, I'm really glad I accidentally made that. Well, was that Rune? Wait, was that Rune or Eclipse? I thought it was Eclipse. I think it was Eclipse. That did what? Made the wish. wish. Made the wish. I, I think oh, yeah. it. I think it. Might have been Eclipse. Either way, it was you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, pick, pick one of them. Either way, me, Haley, have felt a lot of guilt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I thank you for that. It truly was the best thing that's happened to me. It gave me my children and my family back. I couldn't have wished for something better myself. And I hope now with some additional time, you've all found the same peace. I'm not... Still searching for final peace, but I'm in a lot better spot than I was. I think most of us could say the same. It hasn't been easy, no, since everything, but we all make do in our own ways, and we're all getting better, I think. It is a lot to process. We might not 
ever truly come to terms with what happened, but the best we can hope for is progress forward. We fade into a now older, slightly more mature-looking Ikmer, fastening the last buttons on a freshly cleaned shirt. A new kind of armor, he thinks to himself. He takes a deep breath, walks down the hall with a smile, and opens the heavy oaken doors to the chamber room. Ick stands at the ornate round table in the center of the room. Council, I appreciate your efforts over the past five years. We've truly looked inward to grow strong where communities settle differences to nearly stop all of the past infighting. And the new trade routes are actually quite prosperous with the Blood Moon Pirates. The governors of Ustalov have agreed to meet, and we'll bring that good news along with us. I hope you don't mind. I've chosen Askinor Lodge, as many of them have been there before, and I hope that they meet a friend, an old friend of theirs, Duristan, to welcome them with open arms. He'll be there waiting for us. In a few months' time, We'll have the right relationships to bring even more well-being to all of the packs. And now we fast forward to Askinor. Turistan, long time no see. Hickmer smiles a big toothy smile. Well, hello, my prince. How have, well, how was your journey to Askinor? Oh, you know, it, it's it wasn't too bad, really, and I I do enjoy the travels and peace and quiet of being back on the road. I well, I I must say I much appreciate your uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, run the old Askinor Lodge as a new place, make Askinor great again, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, you know it, we all know it. <laughs> well, I, I trust your judgment with how you've prepared things here. I've brought something on that I thought you might quite enjoy. Uh, a man was looking for employment as a bartender. Uh, says he knew you, and he seemed to make a good stiff drink. Um, he's our new... Um, He's going to be running the bar at Askinor. He goes by the name Zokar. Ah! I... That is a fantastic choice. Uh, I couldn't have done it better myself. Well done. Bigmer beams hearing his old uh, bartender's name. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be sure to ask him for a tray of shots when I get the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, I'm I'm more nervous now than than I was when I first showed up. Maybe you could use those shots right about now, then. Uh, but don't worry, I can help you massage your words to the nobles if you must. Hickber clears his throat before addressing the governors. 
thank you all for accepting my invite. If you haven't heard of me, my name is Ikmer, Prince of Wolves. Welcome to Askinor Lodge. Let me start off by saying that this lodge was once a place of great pain and suffering for were creatures. I will tolerate that no longer. I've united the packs, and we are represented by the council you see beside me. When one were creature is attacked, we are all attacked. But that is not why I've asked for your presence here today. We are offering an olive branch. We have great much to offer, including our nation's friendship and common goals of longevity. Raise a glass to this being the first of many meetings among allies. They raise their glasses. Thurston, maybe after the meeting, says, uh, Mr. Prince, you might want to let them know about how we vote. <laughs> so, some traditions are, are better left. <sighs> and now we fade to insects uh, from drying mud cracks under the scorching heat of the midday Mwangi sun. A tall, middle-aged, maybe old, Mwangi man pauses while digging a simple irrigation ditch with his trusty spade. He wipes sweat from his brow. Next to him, his daughter, a full-grown adult in her own right, mimics the motion. His wife, now the tribe's matriarchal leader, sidles up to them with a canteen of fresh water for each. Once able to dig a grave in 15 minutes flat, Matumbe isn't as young as he was during his adventure in Ustalav eight years ago. Now he's a bit slower at his craft, and the brief respite from his toils gives him a chance to rest his weary bones. He shares a smile and some sweet words with his wife, Noma, drinks deeply, and hands her back the canteen before resuming his labor alongside his daughter. In recent years, Kiza is taken up after her father, and the two are inseparable. Suddenly, as his wife turns to leave, and Matumbe once more plants a shovel into Mwangi soil to extend the trench... A tear opens in the empty savanna air before him, and three ragged-looking Ferasmin priests step through the shimmering magical portal, flanked by two imposing female forms, each clothed in spider silk and leaning upon mystical staves. Their eyes are hidden behind veils, and spider silk wings extend behind, behind these warriors of the boneyard. The priests, ordained in the heavy black robes of Ferasma's devout, don't seem phased by the blistering sun, at least at first, and rush to approach Matumbe. What Noma overhears between the five Ferasmin acolytes and her husband, who hasn't left her side since returning home several years ago with their long-lost daughter, troubles her. She hears snippets of conversation like, Last Wall, destroyed, Army of the Dead, Starstone in danger, and with a heavy heart, knows what will happen next. As the Ferasmans plead with him, Matumbe halts the conversation with a motion of his hand and walks to his wife, beginning to speak. She knows what he'll ask for. Silently, she raises a finger to stop him. But as his words die in his mouth, she nods solemnly and embraces her husband. Matumbe and Noma hold each other for a long time in the midday sun, savoring these last few moments together. 
As they separate, Matumbe gestures to Kiza, and the two hustle to the family's home, a single-story mud-brick structure among a grouping of similar houses. Father and daughter disappear inside, and for a time, Noma stares at the Ferasmans and accompanying psychopomps who wait nervously as the time passes. After several minutes of tense waiting, Matumbe and Kiza emerge from the shadowy interior of their home, clad in armor and armaments which blend the traditional fabrics and crafting materials of the Mwangi with the vibrant blues and purples of classic Ferasmin attire. On one arm, Matumbe wears a shield, now beginning to show its age like its wielder, and in the other, he brandishes a heavy iron-bound tome, stylized with a raven on the cover. Relief spreads across the faces of the Ferasmin priests, as the father-daughter warrior duo approach their visitors. One begins to conjure a portal as Matumbe and Kiza bid goodbye to Noma. The three separate, and one by one, the Phrasmans and Psychopomps begin to enter the portal. Matumbe turns to his daughter and hands her the book. Are you sure, father? She asks. Never have I been more sure of anything, my daughter. Your time has come. I can't explain it but I no longer feel the call to this book in the same way I once did. The time of me serving as the lady's champion is at a close. That role is yours now. As he hands the book to Kiza, a purple flash of energy in the vague shape of a raven pulses from the iron-bound tome, entwining the two for a brief moment, fading first off Matumbe and then settling into Kiza's chest. Matube can see the familiar sight that once guided him, the butterflies of Desna flying over his daughter. Matube smiles a genuine smile of pride, of validation, of love. Besides, with my trusty spade in hand, we'll have the dead back in their graves in no time flat. Matube says as he pulls the shovel from where it stood upright in the Mwangi soil and rests it on his shoulder. The two begin walking towards the portal in near lockstep, each footfall nearly perfectly synchronized. Together then, says a father who once upended his life to bring home his most precious person in the world. Together then, echoes a daughter whose father's unconditional love brought her home and allowed her to become the incredible woman she was always meant to be. Matumbe and Kiza step through the shimmering portal of light together toward new dangers an unknown destiny, and endless possibilities. That's tough to say goodbye. And we fade in one final time on a haggard-looking Kendra Lorimore. She's been having these dreams, nightmares of her time in Wren Church, the way she was tortured the way she was prepared, something in her blood just doesn't feel right. She can't sleep. She can barely eat. She's miserable. And she can't quite tell if this is a dream or if it's reality. As she hears from her window, tap, 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 tap. Finally, the sound drives her mad, and she bustles out of bed and throws open the curtains and stands with a face full of shock as she looks face to face with an apparition, a 
of an old woman. Hello, dearie. Long time no see. Can I come in? And we fade to black. (sighs) That mid-credits tease. Period (laughs) ground two. (laughs) Oh my god. Well... We did it. That's all of them, right? That's that's it. That's the that's the adventure, folks. Oh that, no! That's everything. So, uh, to those of you that have listened to us for 257 episode and or episodes and hundreds of hours and heard every part of this adventure from start to finish, thanks for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed Carrying Crown. I know we did, and for the last time. Finish your drinks. We'll see you sometime. (laughs) Hideous Laughter Productions is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Carrying Crown is copyright 2011. Carrying Crown and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. Paizo, Pathfinder, their respective logos, and all Paizo titles, characters, and artwork are properties of Paizo, Inc. and used with permission.